Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sunny D. I want to thank you all uh, for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast and the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Uh, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. I want to give a big shout out to all our friends of the podcast. We got Vegas Squared Podcast, Sports Talk by Sports Fans for Sports Fans. We've got Skin Dimensions Tattoo located here in Winnipeg, right on Cordon Avenue. Uh, go see them for any tattoo and piercing needs you might have. We've got Selfix Doctors also located here in Winnipeg at 666 St. James Street. Please visit them for any cell phone, tablet, and screen repair needs you might have. And last but not least, We've also got Zero Gravity Games down in Fayetteville, Georgia. Please visit them for any used, rare, and vintage gaming needs you might have. Pop on in, say hi to Ronnie Mac or Justin from the dude, uh, Sunny D. They'll greatly appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Uh, another UFC this weekend in the books. Uh, lots to talk about from that event, so let's cover that. It was UFC 237 this past weekend in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil on pay-per-view. Uh, big uh, Brazilian card there featuring a lot of kind of um, big names, but kind of a little bit of a flash from the past. And that kind of was a bit of the theme on the evening. The main event was a women's uh, title fight between uh, Jessica Andrade challenging Rose Namajunas. I had made a prediction about this last week. Uh, so spoiler alert, uh, Jessica Andrade did end up winning that fight uh, via second round TKO. Um, I predicted Andrade would win. I've said matches make fights and just be, you can't always use that formula because a beat b and b beat c a can now beat c matchups are everything styles are everything and uh i'd gone into a long prediction and breakdown as to why i felt jessica andrade would win it wasn't by the same way but it was still tko uh vs head slam uh she picked uh now i mean you know, threw around like a rag doll it was um a, a crazy display of strength but um, there's four fights in particular I want to talk about from this uh, pay-per-view. Uh, so let's recap them. First and foremost was Tiago Alves um, fighting. I can't even remember his opponent's name right now. Uh, who did he fight? He fought uh, Loriano Staropoli uh, in a welterweight bout and lost via unanimous decision. Uh, for Tiago Alves, this has been a kind of sad fall from grace over the past few years. Uh, it wasn't so long ago he was like the highly touted, um, uncrowned, not uncrowned king, but kind of next in line or big threat to the welterweight throne. Uh, he famously co-headline, um, or the, he was in the co-main event of UFC 100 against George St. Pierre for the welterweight title. And he's gone through a lot. Um, he battled some injuries. Uh, he battled, I think he had a brain tumor or something. So he's had a lot of kind of outside the octagon um, distractions, so to speak. As well as there was the ever-changing Thiago Alves body. Uh, when he first kind of burst out on the scene in the UFC and, and climbed the rankings very quickly, he was beating the who's who at the top of the division. Uh, he'd beaten Josh Koscheck. He had knocked out Matt Hughes. Uh, and had done what he needed to do to earn that, um, I think, who else did he, he beat a number of people, I want to say he might have even beaten Dwayne Ludwig, um, but not sure, but anyway, beating the who's who of uh, welterweight, kind of top of the echelon, and I mean, you can't use, always compare time frame versus time frame, but at the time, I mean, he climbed and was the number one contender, he was huge, he was big, strong, jacked, 
like cut out of sheetrock, just a monster at 170. I was oftentimes having trouble sometimes even making 170 and was the much bigger fighter against him um, when he fought George St. Pierre. And I would fathom to say he might've been the last fighter that was truly bigger than George St. Pierre uh, when they fought. Um, the last one that would have given him a size run would have been Matt Hughes, uh, who was also a huge welterweight. But uh, Chad Alves was a monster. Um, and a lot of people felt maybe he should move up to middleweight, but he kept saying, you know, I don't have the height for it. And may, and probably had a valid point, especially for a Muay Thai fighter who wasn't afraid to use his knees and used his kicks a lot. Uh, I could understand Alves feeling like, yeah, I'm going to have a height and reach disadvantage, and that's going to be huge to overcome. So he uh, buckered, uh, buckled down. Um and, and, and made uh, 170 and uh, lost a unanimous decision, a dominant decision against George St. Pierre, uh, where George St. Pierre basically nullified the striking, took him, uh, took him down, controlled the fight uh, on the ground, and that was that. Now Tiago Alves, it's, it's a bit of a weird case because, I mean, he hasn't done anything really, no real climb since then. As I said, he's been distracted, um, had some issues out of the cage. And I think fights like this, I mean, he's not young anymore. He's got to be in his mid-30s. It's a shame to see people take that unnecessary and unwarranted brain damage. Um, I would love for him to find something else to do um, outside of the cage. He, uh, I mean, his body's changed so much. I mean, he's no longer at that big, monstrous, hulking 170. Um, he's leaned out drastically, which, I mean, is overall probably better and healthier for him uh, in terms of trying to make those weight cuts and whatnot. But it's just he seems to have lost a step. And I mean, there was moments in this fight this weekend where he looked like he was, you know, kind of the Thiago Alves of old, but has never been able to consistently put that together since that run. And I just worry sometimes when you see these fighters, especially in a, in a violent sport like the UFC, it's just sometimes maybe it's best to call it a career. He's, I mean, he, He's always going to be remembered, remembered for a long time. There's still a lot of coaching and a lot of wisdom that he can impart on the next generation of fighter without having to get beat up. And, you know, you couple that with maybe some outside, you know, some other ventures, maybe business opportunities, goes back to school, you know, becomes a professional, whatever it might be. I would just, it, it's sad to see someone uh, like that. And a fighter that I really used to like, I was a big fan of Thiago Alves, and I still am. I just don't expect him to be winning the welterweight title anytime soon. I mean, he'll finish his career at 23 and 14. Very respectable, but I think for Thiago Alves, it was a sign of the times, you know, that time away, all of these outside things, you might not just have it anymore, and why fight and get beat up if you don't need to, and maybe he does, maybe he does need the money, I don't know, maybe this is how he feels, like this is the only way he can earn a living, I don't know, but I'd love for Thiago Alves to get a gig doing something else, um, because, and you know, put him on broadcast, he's a good looking dude, put him on the broadcast, uh, maybe on the Brazilian broadcast, whatever it might be, doing commentating down in Miami. I think he still lives in Florida, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, I guess they brought him back, the nostalgia. He's Brazilian. The card was in Brazil. So, But sadly, no, I think Thiago Alves, I think we might have very well seen the end of his UFC run. Uh, I hate for it to kind of be like, oh, I'm going to retire from the UFC and just take a step back in competition to other promotions where I think I have a better shot of winning, which you do see oftentimes for fighters. I get it, but it is what it is. They got to make their choice. I just, I would love to see sometimes some of these fighters be able to hang it up a little sooner. And you have seen it with some fighters. I mean, I remember when Brendan Schaub had that infamous conversation with Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast, where Joe Rogan basically said, like, look, dude, not only are you never going to be champion, 
but you just don't have what it takes to compete at that upper level. And he'd shown, and they watched over the clips from the previous fight. I think Joe Rogan was even like, like the problem you're having is you're not even understanding where you went wrong. You're justifying these things and they're not correct. And I mean, Joe Rogan helped out. I mean, him and Brendan Schaub were friends. He helped him out considerably. Now Brendan Schaub's doing great. He's got his fighter in the kid podcast. He does his comedy, all of that. I mean, he's made a great little niche for himself outside of fighting, but using that celebrity and that recognizability from UFC to help build a nice career. Good for him. I'm proud and I'm happy to see that for fighters when they go and do things like that. That really does make me happy. The flip side is when they don't know when to call it a quit, uh, call it a career. Look at Michael Bisping. Loses his belt, tries to have the quick turnaround, then fucking gets knocked out, and then it's like, okay, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. And now has a great job doing commentary, gets to save his brain, has, you know, he's in phenomenal shape still. Just because you're retired doesn't mean you can't be in phenomenal shape. Still in phenomenal shape and uh, kicking ass at commentary. So sometimes you just, I like seeing that when the fighters know when to hang it up. Um, and I mean, Tiago Alves still isn't that old. I mean, he's barely older than me, but I'd like to see that. Another sad one is, uh, Jose Aldo, uh, against Alexander Volkanovsky. That was a main card fight. Jose Aldo lost via unanimous decision, uh, 30, 27, meaning, uh, the judges saw him lose all three rounds. Very, this has been an interesting fall for grace from Jose, for Jose Aldo, because before this fight, his only losses in the UFC were to guys named Max Holloway and Conor McGregor. Not the worst people in the world to fucking lose to. When he lost to Conor McGregor, that was in 13 seconds. Conor fucking caught him and put him out cold. That wasn't even, oh, he got beat up for a whole fight. He just got knocked the fuck out. And if we remember, Conor McGregor was looking like a world destroyer. And when you think about that, and then he lost those two fights to Max Holloway, that was... Um, I don't know if it was concerning as just like, I didn't expect it. He looked considerably better in the rematch against Max Holloway, but I mean, still, I think got finished. I think he got knocked out in that fight or TKO'd. But other than that, he he's the only two-time featherweight champion um, because after he lost to Conor McGregor, uh, as we know, the UFC decided to, for some reason, strip him of the belt. And when he wanted to become champ champ, no, they made him, uh, they made Jose Aldo versus... Um, Frankie Edgar, too, for the interim belt, and then Jose became the undisputed champion. But regardless, Jose then came back after the McGregor fight and then won back the featherweight title or an interim belt to set up, hey, I want that fucking rematch with Connor. thing with Jose Aldo, too, is, I mean, the guy looked fucking jacked going into this fight. Like, he was in shape against Volkanovski. He was big. He was strong looking. He looked in fucking shape, um, especially at 155 or 145. He looked huge for 145. And just couldn't seem to pull the trigger. And Dominic Cruz said it best on the broadcast. And all the commentators, I think, kind of jumped in, too, on uh, that same thought. Is that it wasn't so much he was fighting to lose as much as he was fighting, um, or fighting to win, rather. Is that he was fighting not to lose. So rather than fighting to win, he was fighting not to lose. As if he was defending his status kind of now as the, uh, as the number one contender. And he might very well be... And would have been, let's say he wins this fight. He had just come off of back-to-back knockout wins. Looking like kind of the Jose Aldo of new or of old. Um, He only has a couple fights left on his contract. And he's kind of said, like, I'm going to fight out this contract. Hopefully it ends with a title shot. But after that, I think I'm done. And, And why not? I mean, he's a younger guy and he's still, but he's got some fucking city miles on him. And in the first young, early 30s, I mean, he's made a ton of money. Fought his way out of poverty. 
uh, and has a chance to really make a nice life for himself the rest of his life, maybe go, who knows, get into managing. You can become a manager for some of these up, young and coming uh, Brazilian fighters. Whatever it might be, the future's bright for Jose Aldo. But it's sad to see a guy go down like that, especially when, as I say, he didn't really lose the fight. He just didn't win it. And as such, as, as Volkanovski is the one that was seeming to try and win the fight, he got awarded the decision. And it's tough, I guess, when you kind of also have those championship aspirations, know the clock's ticking on you, and know you're kind of in a vulnerable spot. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen a guy who's been the number one contender take a fight, go out there, and go to win. I think the last one might have been Donald Cerrone when Ben, um, when he was getting his uh, title shot in the UFC. I want to say against uh, Ben Henderson, but it could have been the one against uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. But nonetheless, he was on this tear. He was fighting like every other week. That was probably the last time I saw a guy be, I'm the number one contender, and I'm going to go out there and fucking prove it. I'm trying to think, a lot of fighters, you know, when they get that content, and it's hard to let it go because, I mean, so many things could go wrong, injuries and training, whatever it might be. It's such a balancing act being the number one contender without some kind of belt around your waist. And and sadly, he didn't fight to win. And, I, you know, now the future's looking a little gloomier for Jose Aldo. Max Holloway's probably going to come down and defend his belt now at Featherweight after his unsuccessful uh, attempt at the uh, interim lightweight belt. It won't be against Jose Aldo. Whoever he might face, he'll probably win or he might win. I don't know who he's fighting. But if he wins, sets up a very kind of disappointing end to Aldo's career. And if I were Jose Aldo, I'd be kind of maybe thinking if I've got two fights left or however many he has left, three fights left, try and find some winnable but interesting big money fights. I'd really like to see Jose Aldo do that. And if they're winnable fights, I mean, maybe he does find himself in a position where they need a last-minute call-up and he takes it. I don't know. But find some nice, interesting, big-money fights if you are going to fight out the contract. Otherwise, if you have one foot out the door in combat sports, it's very tough to want it to justify sticking around. It's dangerous. It's scary. And, I mean, again, we're seeing kind of the tail end now of some great fighters and sad. I mean, these were guys that I kind of watched when I was younger, I, you know, and now I'm seeing the end of their careers. In the co-main event, we had Anderson Silva versus Jared Cannonier. And Anderson didn't wasn't looking bad. There were some big exchanges, though, against the cage where Cannonier got him. Um, Silva tried for his usual um, plum position uh, Muay Thai clutch, um, clinch, rather. Muay Thai clinch. And... Cannoneer was able to power his way through it. And I mean, landed some big, heavy shots on Anderson. Um, and I mean, Anderson's always proven he's got a chin, a rock solid chin. It's been a lot, you know, he, he's always been able to prove that. But at 44 years old and 44 career fights, or I guess 45 career not, um, fights, there's nothing for Anderson left to prove. And the guy's made a gazillion dollars in fighting. He's a likable guy, nice guy. And. Again, this could very well, and you got, so anyway, it could be the end of his career too. This could be another kind of sign of the times where it's like, dude, you gotta fucking hang it up. And I mean, it's never like Anderson's shown up out of shape. You've never heard that in an Anderson Silva fight, even towards the end of his career. Even when he had UFC 200, took that fight on like 24 hours notice or 48 hours notice against Daniel fucking Cormier. Um, still looked good in that fight. He looked good against Israel Adesanya, but Israel Adesanya, I think there was respect there and said, you know what? gonna take it easy on the old man i could fucking crucify him here but you know i could fucking destroy him 
but I'm not going to. And, I mean, is Adesanya now the interim champion. He's got a chance to fight Anderson. And there's a tremendous amount of respect, and people can't forget it is still Anderson Silva. But again, it's that father time catching up with you. He, saw, um, he lost by first round TKO. And, I mean, the way he lost, too, was an injury to the leg. He got uh, an inside leg kick. Now, Cannonier had been peppering the inside of that leg and probably weakening it. And, I mean, your joints do get weaker, whatever, with age. Suffered the knee injury, landed a hard inside leg kick, and went down. Tried to fight, but it was done. Um, able to defend himself, but it was done. And it, it's tough, because at 44, you rehab the injury, you're coming back at 45. What is, what's the point of this? And I think he, again, is one of those people that has two or three more fights left on his contract. And they were saying there's even talk that he might want to renew his contract and fight longer. And it's like, dude, at what fucking point? Uh, and I think, you know, there's always that name recognition. There's always the skill set. And maybe there's that, uh, that opportunity that, hey, you know what? They got to make a fight. You talk your way into an interim title fight. But from a UFC and a business point um, perspective, are you still in the business of paying Anderson Silva money to watch Anderson Silva no longer win, firstly? And maybe you are. Maybe he is worth it. Maybe there is still a profitability to having Anderson Silva on fight cards. I don't know. But I again, I have to look at it from a fan and health point of view, and I just don't like people taking those big shots to the head and that, that kind of nonsense for no real reason. Especially, what does he have left to prove? Again, longest reigning uh, middleweight champion. Uh, longest reigning champion that isn't named Demetrius Johnson. Uh, is still competitive, and can just go and enjoy his life, train. I mean, imagine co getting coached by Anderson Silva, the knowledge he can impart on you. Uh, it's just, again, I think there's other things for Anderson Silva to do that don't involve him going in the cage anymore. Even Michael Bisping uh, came out and said, Anderson, please retire. You have nothing left. And it's not a disrespect thing anymore. It's a, it's a concern thing. It's like, dude, there's other things you can fucking do. When's enough's enough? And I kind of look back at some other fighters who had some end of career success and later in life success. Like you look at a Randy Couture who got a late start in the UFC. Like I don't think he became champion until his mid thirties and was fighting into his forties and still having success. Uh, Mark Coleman, I think registered a win at UFC 100 or UFC somewhere along those lines at like 50 years old against Stefan Bonner. Um, and then most famously had Dan Henderson who had this huge resurgence at the end of his career um, knocking out Shogun twice, or no, beating Shogun twice once by knockout, uh, winning the Strike Force light heavyweight title, um, getting uh, title opportunities uh, towards the end of his career. Uh, all of these things. Yeah, he got a middleweight title shot against Michael Bisping. That was Michael Bisping's first title defense. And I mean, even there, he had the, the H bomb, as they called it. And I mean, that big right hand, that power doesn't go away. But I mean, even there, he had said, This is my last fight. And you could see it. And I'm happy he knew when enough had been enough. Like, I have nothing left to prove. I have nothing left I can really do here. Let's just call it a career. Let's save ourselves and move on. And I like seeing that. I was happy to see that out of a guy um, like Dan Henderson being able to pull the plug on, on the career. Big problem I did have, though, is that it's now kind of influenced. And even Fedor Emelianenko kind of had that until recently. Uh, until he started losing over in uh, Bellator. Uh, well, he did beat Frank Mir, though. That's that in itself. But you have these 
this kind of idea here of and speaking of which like when is that happening uh when are they settling oh no uh ryan bader did become uh dual champion i apologize yeah brian bader did become dual champion uh but uh you know guys like this it's kind of having a bad example i think and letting fighters believe in this oh i can have this career resurgent and i mean money is now bigger than it was ever in mixed martial arts in my opinion there has to be a time when you decide this is enough for my health let's try and find something else to do um another big example on this fight card fight on the preliminary card was bj penn this is now a seventh straight ufc loss it's just not looking good for bj and at what point do you call it a career? And I mean, this was a guy, the UFC 101 BJ Penn, the guy who fought and beat the shit out of Kenny Florian, who fought and beat the shit out of Diego Sanchez when he was champion, would have beaten Clay Guida every day of the week. Now all of a sudden, not only are you not beating Clay Guida, it's not a matter of not beating people, it's getting your ass kicked. And um, not even so much getting, but just you're not, it's no longer being competitive in that space. And, I mean, all the respect in the world to BJ Penn. I mean, he's a, he's tough as fucking nails and a hell of a fighter and still an upper echelon fighter. I mean, he could probably still go in there in, in lower promotions and still whoop ass. But, I mean, again, it's that, it's that trauma, that health. Like, what do you decide? Hey, not only am I not winning, but I'm losing fights and I'm getting beaten losing these fights. And when you think about that aspect, like, when do you call it a career? And, I mean, he's got a great life uh, over in Hilo in Hawaii. He's got a gym there, I believe, a UFC gym, all of that. And, I mean, it's tough because the guy's fucking competitive. And you keep seeing that. But, and I mean, there was some talk of some outside the cage issues with BJ. So, who knows what happened there. Uh, sad to see, though. And I really, really would... Um, be happier and more inclined to see a BJ Penn kind of be able to call it a career peacefully and uh, move on from this kind of this this kind of groundhog day of getting into these going into these uh, contests, getting beat up, getting injured, and I mean, and the thing is too is that he's coming out and he's having moments in the fight where he's looking good, so it's tough, and I don't know if it's his coaches or what, but at some point in your career, I think we have to call it a career, especially in combat sports. And I think, and I said, I, you know, it's that Dan Henderson slash Randy Couture effect of guys who had late end, you know, uh, later in life success in combat sports. I mean, even look at a guy like Floyd Mayweather still fighting at 40 and whooping ass uh, and still even talking of potentially coming back for the right fight. But even if these guys amount to win, do they still think they're going to beat those guys at the top? Like, is a BJ Penn, is it like... Let's say he put together three wins and they're like, you know what? For fucking numbers and nostalgia and all this, let's put BJ Penn in there against Khabib Nurmagomedov. Like, how how do they think that fight goes? <clears throat> you know, how do they think a guy like uh, BJ Penn does against Ally Quinta? You know, is that a fight they're going to make now? Like, it just, at a certain point, you have to know when, hey. And I, I think the UFC might be, you know, now that they're under new ownership, it's not the Partidas, it's not Dana White. You have to make some tough decisions. So I think for a lot, for some of these guys, we might have very well seen the last time they're entering the cage and leaving the cage. And in the main event, uh, <clears throat> we saw Jessica Andrade win by second round TKO against Rose Nama Yunus. And it's funny because as champion or now as former champion, Rose Nama Yunus has a record of eight and four. 
Uh, and as I've said, Rosa Amigos has some notable and big losses on her career, and it was just kind of an interesting thing that all of a sudden she turns on and fucking beats um, Joanna. Jessica Andrade's a fucking tank, though. She can fucking take a punch and give a punch, and she is strong like a bull. And when you look at that combo of strength, knockout, power, brutality, and being able to take punishment. A, I mean, there's the health concerns later on in uh, Je- for Jessica Andrade. But as, a, as, as someone like Rose Namunas who has lost big fights, I mean, she was looking good. And that's, the sc- and that's the thing. Rose clearly won the first round. Handedly won the first round. And I say this a lot about UFC. Is fans, and I think judges, and sometimes commentators, and analysts, and all this, get in this habit of ge- awarding rounds to fighters... Not because they so much won it, but because they did so much better in, you know, the second round they did in the first round, the third round than they did in the second round. And they didn't actually win it. And that's why I've really gotten in the habit now when I when I rewatch fights and I'm scoring them myself uh, to, you know, review here on the podcast or discuss. It really, to me, it's important to kind of put to aside those scorecards and really watch those rounds, especially when you get into watching a, third, a second time or even a third time, of uh, that idea of being like, did they really win this round or did they just do better than they had in previous rounds? Now, it's easier, of course, when you've rewatched the fight. In the moment, judges have a tough life. They've got a tough gig, and I don't envy that at all. But I think sometimes we do get a little caught up and they didn't win this round. They just did better in it than they had in previous rounds. But Andrade got what she needed to do. She got the position, leveraged, fucking lifted Rose and slammed her down on her head and neck. Uh, and Rose landed in an awkward, awkward position. Uh, I wore, you know, and I think everybody was kind of worried for uh, whether there'd been a potential neck injury there. Uh, I I haven't checked MMA Junkie today or any other uh, MMA news outlets, but as of, I think, even yesterday, there hadn't been any real talk, or I hadn't seen any talk of whether they had uh, determined there was a neck injury or not. But very scary for Rose Namajunas, um, who's also now come out and said, uh, right after the fight, that she very well could be done. I get it. Um, I know there's two sides to that. There's the, I just lost, I just lost my belt, all of that. But she made some good points about it's hard to keep having fun doing this. And if you've already got one foot out the door, and I mean, if, if she has suffered a horrible injury, you know, let's let's hope she hasn't. It's hard to have motivation to come back. And I mean, she's a very young girl, bright future ahead of her, and there's a ton of other things she could do outside the UFC, I'm sure. Maybe this is the time you say, hey, you know what? If she's got one foot out the door, maybe she does say, you know what? I am done. Maybe I do want to start a family. You know, maybe I do want to enjoy a little other things in life. And Rose is a phenomenal competitor. She's been a champion. That's an elite company that only very few people have ever been able to do, um, let alone at the UFC level, any level of mixed martial arts or competition to be the champion. She's been the champion and if you got one foot, and you know, she, I think she is going to spend this time reevaluating. She is going to, I mean, no matter what, that neck has to hurt. She's going to rehab that neck. And I think, you know, look at it. And there's nothing wrong with her deciding, hey, I'm done. She doesn't, there's no shame in any of that. It's not like, oh, hey, she's the worst champion ever. No. She won the belt. She defended it against the previous champion. She came in here and was looking good against Andrade. And things happen. And it wasn't so much that she got caught. She just got outworked and Andrade used an advantage and won it's just from a health perspective again you have to be like hey have we you know 
have we seen enough here? Like, do we do we need to keep going through this? Like, does any is anybody winning when this is what's happening? And for someone like Rose Namajunas, maybe this is the time to call it a career. I give her all the respect in the world for heading down to Brazil. Uh, that can be a very hostile environment uh, in the cage um, because they are going to cheer for their Brazilian uh, fighters uh, like it's nobody's business. And when you think about that, I mean, all credit to Rose that she went down there to defend her belt. And uh, But it would be, uh, as I said, it would be an understandable departure from the sport uh, if Rose Namajunas decided to leave. And that's what makes some of these cards harder now. And I mean, as a longtime UFC fan, you start to see these things. Some of these fights do be, these cards do become kind of both more important and sad to watch because in, in a lot of cases, this very well could be the last time we see certain fighters get in that octagon. And it happens. And I and, and all the power to the fighters who can decide enough is enough. I just don't want to fucking do this anymore. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, Forrest Griffin, I'm pretty sure retired. How did, who did he fight in his last fight? You know, I can't even remember who Forrest Griffin fought in his last fight. But he decided enough was enough. And now he runs the UFC Performance Institute uh, Athletic Department or something like that. Like, he has a great job with the UFC. You know, sometimes you just have to decide, hey, you know what, enough stuff. And he was a cop before he was a UFC fighter. So that's kind of interesting in itself. He went, he had a career in law enforcement, then became a UFC fighter. So I guess he could have gone back to law enforcement and decided to go um, into, uh, what's it called? Run the Performance Institute. Good for him. Good for him. So, I mean... As I said, these cards can be sometimes a little difficult to watch. I mean, even guys that haven't officially hung the uh, hung it up yet, hung up the gloves yet. You never know. You know, have we maybe seen the last time Dominic Cruz gets in there? You never know. You know, had Stipe Miocic not been waiting, had there not been a lot of intrigue in that fight, maybe when Brock the Brock Lesnar thing didn't uh, come to fruition, we could have very well seen the end of Daniel Cormier's fighting career. You never know now. So it is what it is, but I'm happy that you're starting to see a lot more of these opportunities arise for fighters kind of outside of fighting, uh, whether it be the commentary gigs, whether it be, you know, running, you know, other kind of endeavors. Look at a guy like uh, Anthony Rommel Johnson now. He's involved with the Bare Knuckle uh, FC, you know, and I mean, the guy's fucking huge. Uh, and he was in between Pauli Malignaggi and what's his name, uh, Artem Lobov there. And I mean, just like one, he's got one hand pulling the guy back and he's videotaping it for Instagram. I mean, the guy's a beast. Again, opportunities, he had had one foot out the door. His last UFC fight was a title fight. And I mean, this is a scary guy. He packed a big punch. Remember in the first fight with Daniel Cormier, he landed a punch and sent Daniel Cormier across the, uh, the bloody cage. You know, so again, at what point? Who knows? And I'm just happy that there are these opportunities. And I think now fighters maybe should be considering, hey, you know what? There are these other opportunities for me outside. And and maybe pre-negotiating that. Misha Tate, same thing. I can't compete at this level after her Raquel Pennington loss. I'm done. Went off, decided to start a family. And that's that. And now she does other gigs. She does, she does commentary. It is what it is. But I'm happy that those opportunities exist. And I, you know, highly encourage that. Uh, for players and I, or for fighters rather for players I was getting in my own head there I was thinking I got distracted thinking about poker but for these fighters and I, and I encourage them to take them up because I mean there's not you know there's an opportunity for everyone so if you can be the one to say hey you know what 
there's an opportunity for me, fucking take it. And I mean, it's even no different than in poker, right? Getting those opportunities to do the commentary. And, and now some of them are making great kind of little side careers and main careers. You know, Maria Ho is a great example. Uh, Nick Shulman's a great example. Uh, he does a lot of the World the WSOP main event uh, coverage now and other event coverage and even the Poker After Dark coverage. Maria Ho does a lot of the um, coverage now for whether it be Poker After Dark or a lot of the stuff on Poker Go as well as WSOP. And I've been there at the WSA and watched her run from an event or during the break of an event have to run and film something. It's like good for her that she got that. And there's So it's nice in these professions when you see that, these opportunities arise. Uh, what's his name? Um, oh God, uh, Mike. Oh, the older guy. Anyway, doesn't matter. But nonetheless, happy to see this happen for uh, these fighters. These opportunities get created, have the chance to do things outside of the uh, octagon. And I, I encourage maybe, and maybe we're going to see more of that now. And especially as UFC kind of becomes even more and more mainstream, I think that ESPN deal now opens a lot of doors for these kind of post-UFC careers. And especially I think ESPN has said, basically that's why they got rid of Jimmy Smith, as they said, other than Joe Rogan, we only want commentators. I think John Anik now too, but we primarily want commentators that are former fighters. They know it best, and that kind of has been the model now in a lot of other sports. You're seeing a lot more former athletes getting uh, involved in the analysis and the breakdown and the commentary on sports. Basketball, football, you're seeing that a lot more. Hockey now, you're seeing guys, and it's like, oh, I didn't even know they were retired, but here they are doing the broadcast. And even guys that aren't even necessarily retired but are eliminated from the playoffs getting those opportunities. So it's really nice to see that. And I think as the UFC has become more mainstream and is becoming more and more mainstream with that um, huge ESPN deal, it does create and open the door for a lot more of these opportunities. And I think we're going to see a lot more fighters jumping um, towards those uh, opportunities. So uh, hopefully that is the case. Uh, if it isn't, I mean... At what point, I mean, it's hard as a fighter. Maybe it's different. The mindset is different than a lot of other things. You know, you feel kind of, oh, no, I still got it. I don't know. But with the opportunities being created, uh, I think we could see a big migration there. And I encourage us to see a big migration of fighters going into these outside, but UFC and mixed martial arts related kind of endeavors and, you know, earning careers and earning a living doing that. Uh, it's not like pro wrestling, right? That was kind of the big thing. And I think maybe with pro wrestling, you saw a bit, bit of a difference there is that a lot of uh, when wrestlers were retiring, what was there really for them to do other than going into completely unrelated wrestling things and maybe getting a paid to do an appearance here or an appearance there and whatever it might be. So with some of these other sports, you're seeing those opportunities create. And in, in mixed martial arts and in combat sports, I really highly encourage um the fighters to take advantage of those opportunities. I think we will see more of that. And it, it'll be interesting, right? And I mean, it's kind of cool when you see that now. Them fully accept and embrace. Like, hey, I'm not a fighter anymore. But hey, I... Fuck. You don't think I know what to talk about on a broadcast? So, I mean, it's no different than when you see these high-level poker players doing broadcasts. Like a Nick Shulman. He's a two-time bracelet winner, I believe. When he's offering commentary, like, that's valuable commentary. So, Mike Sexton... That was the other fucking poker player. Mike Sexton. 
WSOP bracelet winner, WPT winner. I mean, he's done great for himself doing uh, the WPT broadcasts and being kind of the face or one of the faces of the WPT. Like, that's great for him. So, again, you're seeing a lot more of that in sports, them kind of embracing that um, former participants getting involved in, in broadening the sport and broadening the coverage of the sport. So... Anyway, I'll leave it there. Uh, I thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Uh, Listen to me break down a UFC event. Uh, As I said, um, once again, big shout out to all of our friends of the podcast, Vegas Squares Podcast, Zero Gravity Games, Self-Fix Doctors, Skin Dimension Dimension Tattoos. Of course, we've got B-Boys Honey in there. Uh, If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at the dude Sunny D. I thank you all so much for uh, tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Take care and bye-bye for now.